Let's go. We see the hype outside. Right from the house. All right, and we're live. Welcome back to Mesclo Moguls. It's your boy, the one with the scar in his face. Your boy, Scarface. And today we got Jules. What up? We got Weicho. What's good? And we got a good friend of mine. We got Jeremy. Nice to be here today, man. Well, thanks for coming. I know uh, we were trying to have you here for a few weeks now, but uh, obviously, you know, I know you're in school, too. I'm in school, too. I got a bunch of homework to do right after this. Seriously. Yeah, Yeah, me too, man. (laughs) Yeah, and it's really hard to, like, I mean, they... (laughs) Sometimes I feel like the professors are like, oh, let's just give them a bunch of work. And then, especially uh, at this level, man, you know, the uh, the studying and everything is kind of put on us and mm-hmm. it's a little bit more intense than some of those earlier classes, you know, because yeah. you're getting close to being done, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got two more classes after this semester and then right. I'm pretty much done. I'm awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they make you read a lot, especially the online classes. That's what people don't recognize. I told my, my youngest brother, he also, he goes to ISU mm-hmm. and I told him, I was like, don't think the online classes are easy because they make you read a lot. Oh, for sure. Well, yep. What are you majoring in? Uh, so right now I'm majoring in dietetics. And then after I get my undergrad done here, May of this upcoming year, mm-hmm. I'll be pursuing the master's degree in the same field of nutrition and dietetics to be a registered dietitian. Okay. So, so let's get back to the beginning of your story uh, mm-hmm. because I want people to get to know who you are because you did get requested to be on here because yeah. they said that you had a pretty amazing story. So are you originally <laughs> from uh, Idaho Falls? Um, I normally tell people yes. I was born in Jersey but moved out here when I was like two years old. So also basically not born but raised yeah. for sure. So mm-hmm. Idaho Falls has been, yeah. 32 now, or going to be 32 in November, so 30 years. Oh, nice. We're like oh, right okay. around the same yeah. age. Cool. Yeah, what uh, school did you go to? Uh, Skyline. Oh, really? Same yeah. year. 07? 06. Oh, so a little bit before, before, yeah. Okay. I was in there so, at the same time. So though. do you know about Trejo? I think so, maybe. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we had him on the, the pod. He's the firefighter now. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, he does a lot of stuff for the, for the site. Nice. Can we say the site? Uh, just beep beep. Yeah, we'll, we'll just bleep it. You know, because you know how some people get all picky with the the government. Uh, Absolutely, for sure. Like that. Yeah. So uh, you went to to high school here, right? Mm-hmm. And were you because. You're known a lot right now for being a personal trainer and then mm-hmm. bodybuilding. Did you lift back then at all? So uh, I was involved in a lot of sports growing up, mainly soccer. And I mean, I'm like, you can't see me right now, like for those of you listening, but I'm a short dude, you know, five, five on a good day. So, um, you know, tried out football, wasn't big enough for that. Um Tried out baseball and with a strike zone, you know, that was like yeah. a foot big. I got oh, wow. beamed all the freaking time. <laughs> and so I ended up falling onto soccer, was pretty good at that. Like the fact that I got to play, you know, all the time and mm-hmm. size wasn't a huge, huge deal. It was faster than a lot of kids out there. So it was soccer, conditioning, running around, um, doing things like that. But weightlifting wasn't a thing at all in high school. Maybe playing around with my dad's weights in the basement a little bit. But other than that, not at all. Yeah, because uh, I, I used to, well, I used to play football for high school, too, and mm-hmm. I wasn't really big into the whole lifting scene. I don't know if you know that I, I used to actually weigh, like, 260 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, Dude, I got that's down, awesome. Yeah, then I got down, and then uh, we're going to do a weight loss challenge over uh, where I also work, too. And uh, so 
the challenge is because it's not fair. I mean, you know, somebody right. who's a lot heavier can mm-hmm. lose a lot more weight, a lot quicker. Yeah, it's percentages. Yeah, so we're okay. going based off percentage because I was like, you can lose forty pounds easy. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I was like, I don't even think I have forty pounds to lose. Yeah, but yeah. Um, what, what? So what did you do after high school? Um. So high school, and I would assume that's probably why there was a couple people that requested for me to be on here. You know, um, my story after high school gets a little bit dark, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as uh, party scene, hanging out with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong stuff. Uh, So exercise wise, there was none of that (laughs) after high school, really, Um, other than, you know, walking down the streets, you know, from point A to point B because I didn't have a car and Mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of stuff to my name. So, so I don't know if you want to talk about like what. Oh, yeah. No, man. That's why you have me on. Yeah. Not a big deal at all. Because I mean, the story gets better. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So what was it that that I mean, what was going on during that time? Okay, so um, I mean, we, we could kind of start with high school and what happened there. So before high school, I was really, uh, I mean, straight arrow type kid. I was in a lot of advanced placement classes, um, got straight A's for the most part. Never had any complaints in school other than I had like a little too much energy. That's kind of always been my <laughs> MO. Um, but really, other than that, uh, you know, I, my grades and everything like that were perfect. High school rolled around, um, and one thing that I've kind of, I mean, it's been a, you know, a crux for me for a long, long time, especially during that time, was gaining acceptance of others. You know, I just wanted everybody to like me, mm-hmm. and I was willing to kind of do no matter what, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so, as high school progressed, I found that I could chameleon myself, you know, just kind of blend into every little social group really, really well. And so... Um, I started doing that, started hanging out with kids that were partying a little bit. And then I had um, a girlfriend that, you know, moved here from Nampa right around my junior year, um, like end of my sophomore, beginning of my junior year. And she had a little bit of a history already between, you know, um, some criminal charges, being on and off probation and a little bit of experience, you know, with alcohol and like some pot and dating her those doors began to open a little bit more and a little bit more and um yeah that was kind of the beginning of that that was the beginning of that yeah because uh i know you recently posted not too long ago uh, a picture of yourself like where you're at now and then yeah. back it, it looked like a mugshot it was a mugshot for uh, sure <laughs> what, what was that from um so that particular mugshot that was actually um <laughs> uh it was pedestrian under the influence um that was a few years later i think that was posted in 2010 so that was about three years after i graduated and that's when things had gotten to a point um where I was really using harder stuff and finding myself in jail a little more frequently. You know, from my graduating year, when I, you know, started as a senior at IF, or I mean at Skyline High School, um, I got into the dealing side, Mm -hmm. uh, starting off with pot and little things like that. Um, And then, again, I found out I could make a little bit of money. I wasn't, like, working a job. But at the same time, you know, uh, I did well, at least well enough to pull the wool over a lot of people's eyes by, you know, holding down a job and mm-hmm. still doing like some advanced placement classes and just, I guess, keeping everybody off my back while still kind of doing this on the side. Yeah. So, um, 
2008, after I graduated, uh, was really the peak of me uh, dealing and selling drugs, uh, whatever I could get my hands on, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 2008, some gnarly stuff kind of happened that changed the course of me having fun and doing, you know, living that fast lifestyle. Like it it started, that was the turning point. So in July of 2008, uh, the girl that I just mentioned passed away from colon cancer. So that was, I mean, at age 19, that was, I mean, heavy, really, really heavy. Uh, I had also at that time attracted a lot of attention by a misdemeanor probation officer uh, that, uh, you know, I was on probation misdemeanor for minor offenses like frequenting um, or a minor consumption or something. I'd drawn her attention with all the things that I was doing and I got raided actually by the police Uh back in 2008. Um, Divine intervention though, I mean, they came in, uh, the time that they came in, I had absolutely nothing in the house where if they would have shown up a week earlier, I'd probably still be sitting in prison today. So, um, that was at my own place. I pretty much lost the right to live on my own and had to move back in with my parents. Um, obviously with that much attention brought to me, the dealing stopped, Mm -hmm. but the using didn't. And so that's where, uh, yeah. So what made you decide to start dealing? Was it the easy money? Was it the... You know, um, the funny thing with using, dealing, any of that, uh, at least my experience is like one little compromise after another, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, I'll never do that. And so the dealing thing started off with pot. I had a bunch of buddies that smoked pot at the time. Uh, Some guy at a party had told me he could get, you know, a good amount for a certain price. And it was one of those days I had six or seven buddies call me like, hey, can you find any pot? And the wheel started turning and I was like, well, if I do this, I could get a little bit of free pot and a little bit of money in my pocket. Yeah. So let's just call this dude and make it happen. Yeah. And then it just, you know, escalated from there. So. So w- when was the, the, the first time that or did you ever get caught for 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 dealing? Um, so uh, they tried to catch me back then, mm-hmm. uh, back in 2008. The attention was on and. um they tried everything, you know, when they got raided, all that they really found was a whole bunch of cash and no drugs. And so they couldn't pin it on anything. They let me keep the money and, you know, being just the obnoxious dumbass that I was at that time. I looked at them when they were asking for names or people that I could give them. I said, you know, even if I did sell a little bit of pot, you know, I'm not going to tell you who these people are because yeah. I'd much rather be punished by you guys than the people that I'm dealing with. Yeah. And so... They documented all of this. They wrote all of this down. And uh, fast forward, we'll get to 2011 and answer your question. So in 2011, I got uh, the most significant charge out of everything that I've had. And actually the last charge that I've ever had to deal with, it was a delivery of a controlled substance. I had a wire worn on me for selling for Oxycontin. So you said they somebody had a wire on yeah i had um a controlled buy that happened on me um and so yeah a few months later after the situation where i sold these things they they do this to 
protect, you know, the mm-hmm. individuals, the confidential informants. And so a few months after that interaction, um, I ended up getting picked up for Damn. a delivery charge. And, and so you, you got charged for that? Yes. Yeah. So got charged for that. Um, was it massive? Was it jail time? Was it? Yeah. So the state of Idaho, uh, oxycodone or oxycotton is a scheduled two narcotic and it carries 25 to life. You know, it's, it's heavy. Yeah. For a handful of pills. This is where, you know, the way that we hand out sentences for drugs is, I mean, it's still pretty crazy what they can do. And so I was looking at 25 to life and in the state of Idaho, they offer what are called like specialty court programs, right? So they have like wood pilot drug court and a few alternatives that if you complete this really intensive outpatient slash inpatient treatment type program, uh, you don't have to go to prison and they'll actually drop the felony charge down to a misdemeanor. And so I opted to do wood pilot and, you know, they accepted that. So I was, I did the wood pilot program. Mm-hmm. And during this, this whole time that you're um, getting charged, were you still using at that time? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And this is, you know, um, for me, this is 100% why I know I'm an addict. You know, mm-hmm. I had all the consequences and everything that possibly could go wrong facing me right in the face and I couldn't stop using for the life of me. Like, could not freaking stop. Um, I would get out, uh, you know, I got out on this charge on pretrial services and I was using the whole time while I was on pretrial services. It's like one of the first things that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so during your, your dealing time, mm-hmm. uh, I know some people run into, I mean, because people know that if they rob you, Mm-hmm. Who are you going to go to? Did right. you ever run into those issues where somebody like uh, threatened you to, for your money, for whatever you were selling? Oh, yeah. Put your life at, at, at risk. risk. Oh, absolutely, man. And that lifestyle, it just, they go hand in hand. You know, um, you're constantly putting yourself at risk of getting robbed and getting held up. And I mean, those were semi-regular occurrences. So, so you, you've been robbed before. Oh yeah. Was it, and at no point were you like, I, I got to stop doing this or was it just like, that's the short lived. I mean, it's always so short lived where it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, that sucked. And then you put a plan together to go get even. And then, um, you just move forward, you know, uh, where, Anybody else on the outside looking in would see that as crazy and insanity. I mean, when you're in it, you're in it. Yeah. You know, you don't see the truth for what it really is. You don't see the insanity of the chaotic world you live in Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, uh, because I feel like most people go through something like that because a a while back ago, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the, the dark web. Mm -hmm. So like you could also buy like drugs off of there. Yeah. Right. So I was actually... I mean, at some point in your life, you're like, oh, like you don't know what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. so I knew some people were getting drugs off of there. Mm-hmm. So I actually thought about doing it. I was like, what if I get some sell, just make some quick cash. Yeah. But I got really scared and I was like, no, won't do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you never like it was just so normal and just dealing like. Yeah, I mean, me, I, I, to me, like since I don't deal. Yeah. You, you think of that like what if anyone could steal from you mm-hmm. rob you because it's not like you can go to the police and yeah be like i just got robbed literally dealing, yeah. Dealing yeah i mean normal people think that stuff through uh whereas a lot of this started four years prior i mean it was 
compromise. I said that before, but it, that's really what happened is it was compromise after compromise after compromise. Like, I'll never do this. And then I find myself in a situation a handful of months, maybe a year later, doing exactly that. And then another compromise and then another compromise, mm-hmm. you know, because of the individuals that I was hanging around with, all of that was influenced you know that was just normal in the circle that i hung out with and so i mean we all lived like that and so that's why it seems normal because you're a product of your environment do you do you think the the drugs had something to like like kind of like mellow out those nerves and i mean we've all done it before like we've all smoked butt and stuff i've done mm-hmm. it before yep. and like you usually do it Every now and then, just like to mellow out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the drugs would make you like numb to being scared that you're going to get robbed or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, the drugs are how I dealt with my problem. And there's the real big difference between somebody who can use it from time to time to kind of chill out and an addict like myself. You know, it may have been manageable for me to utilize it like that at the beginning, but after I had used for set period of time it was one of those things that i could not stop if i wanted to and so again regardless of the circumstances the consequences whatever i mean yeah that's how i dealt with the world around me how i avoided all my problems how i avoided how i avoided stress how i shut everything out you know didn't want to deal with it so let's just numb out yeah um the reason i mentioned that about dealing and getting robbed is because i know uh, they don't deal anymore. Mm-hmm. One of them I'll, uh, I'll get to in a little bit. Uh, the first one, this person literally got robbed. Like they came in with guns and mm-hmm. like stole everything, everything, and even like busted a few shots just because, like, to let them know, hey, like if you don't give us what we want, yeah, we're gonna kill you. And yeah. it's not like you can go to the police for it. right. And the second one was uh, it was a while back ago. It was a girl I was dating. Her, her her dad it, it was like no relation to that person but yeah. he knew this person that was getting drugs uh it was coke from uh down in uh california and he knew like the people that were connected right yeah this guy was getting like kilos and bringing it over here and he ended up started like he was using the stash so he started getting addicted to it and addicted to it so pretty soon he wasn't making the money to pay back like because they would uh, almost give it to him on consignment yeah like you give me this and then i'll pay you you know and that's you know that's why i made the comment earlier when the cops were asking me like hey (laughs) you know give us a few names i'm like you guys, if you punish me, I'll end up with a bed and three meals a day. <laughs> like any of these guys, like hypothetically, yeah. if I was to give any of them out, I'm not dealing with that. Yeah, because you, know? you might not see in the next few weeks. You got it. Yes. Yeah, because so. this guy, last that he knows, mm-hmm. is uh, he ended up missing. Nobody knows where he's at, and like he ended up he's still he's still a missing person. Scary. But if you mess with their money. They'll make you disappear. Yeah. So th- that's why I brought it up. Like, if you ever got like scared of, or if it ever did happen, like to the point where you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. I would be scared. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so being such a little guy back then, there were like some pros and cons that came with that. I mean, con, I was small enough, it was on the outside, easy to take advantage of me or look like it was. Mm -hmm. But getting back to that whole me being a chameleon thing, I was really good at making sure that I had some big friends around me 
all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always the first to like figure out, all right, who's got a little bit of science, a little bit of muscle and sought those people out and befriended them and everything. And also, you know, when I ran into situations where (laughs) like money wasn't there when it was supposed to be for somebody that I owed it to, I almost feel like these guys were like, well, crud. I would feel bad even doing anything to this kid because he's so freaking little. Like, I mean, um, a lot of these guys, I don't know. I really lucked out. I mean, they were scary freaking dudes that I, you know, dealt with on a regular basis. But they seem to just have a little bit of a soft spot for me. So I probably got away with stuff that, you know, somebody else wouldn't have. Yeah, that's definitely one of the scary, like, things about that. Um, So... Were you using before your, your your the girlfriend at the time passed away? Were you using no. before that? Yeah, I mean, before she passed away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that relationship was, maybe you guys have been in the same deal, heaven and hell, right? Yeah. The highs together were really, you know, better than any, and the lows were worse than any. And mm-hmm. so it was off and on and just a toxic relationship in general. And so, you know, I was using things like, pot and a little bit of coke here and there and things like that when she got diagnosed with colon cancer uh that's when pills found you know Mm -hmm. opiates opiates found their way into the mix she was prescribed a lot of painkillers for what she was going through and uh super against him at the beginning like everything else i'll never do that i'll never do that mm-hmm. and one night under the influence of a little bit of alcohol inhibitions lowered tried it fell in love so um when she ended up passing i had already been hooked on that substance you know mm-hmm. really hooked on opiates and so uh and it, and it just continued from there, there on out? Progressed. That one in particular, that's the one that really kind of stole me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had been in tight spots and troubled situations with some of the other stuff before, but it was the opiates that really turned my world upside down. What made you, like, did it make you feel good? Because I've never, I know I got prescribed some, like, back when I had some surgeries, but mm-hmm. I never you know, I've never taken them. Yep. Uh, what was it that made you like keep coming back to them? You know, some people, it's funny, like you never tried them. They're individuals that'll get them after a surgery or something like that. And they're like, they try it, feel a little bit loopy. They don't like the way it makes them feel. They feel out of control. Uh, for me, it was just that, I mean, the first time I took it, you know, th- that one time with her, I, I knew that I had almost found like my best friend is really the weirdest way to describe it. I mean, just a very euphoric, warm, comforting physical sensation and the alleviation of all of the problems in my world around me. So it was, uh, yeah, I right away. I was a lot of comfort in that feeling that absolutely indescribable. Yeah. No, found a lot of comfort in it. And the thing with opiates, and this is this is why opiates, I feel like, are probably one of the most dangerous ones out there to kind of get hooked on. You know, pot, I still, it's a habit-forming substance. A lot of people, like, you can't get addicted to pot. And it's like, if you're doing it every day and you use it to handle situations, that's addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, like handle stress and everything. Um Coke, you know, you can definitely get addicted to that stuff. But it's like when you come off of a lot of those things, you know, the downtime is 
you feel cruddy for a day or two, like you feel kind of horrible. When you're using a good amount of opioid painkillers for a prolonged period of time, and sometimes it doesn't even need to be a ton, but if you're using them for a good period, um, you're going to start experiencing what are called withdrawal symptoms from opiates. Mm -hmm. And withdrawal symptoms from opiates, I don't know if you've ever heard of anybody experiencing that or seen anybody going through it, uh, but it's it's really hell on earth. Mm -hmm. It's... Is it kind of like when they sometimes portray it in like movies and TV shows where they're trying to get clean? Mm -hmm. Like they're just like sweats, stomach pains, like things like that? Yeah, for sure. And I think the movies don't even do the justice that what you go through. And it's really that intense where you can't sleep, you know, hot and cold flashes. You're sweating profusely. Um, You can't think of anything else. Body aches. uh, And that lasts honestly anywhere from like two to four weeks so it's like going through that for that long of a period you know most people give up exactly and so there's the biggest issue with opiates right if you're faced and this is where i got myself you're faced with two choices option a you experience that and you go through hell for two to four weeks. And if any of you have done anything for, you know, that you didn't want to do for two weeks, that, I don't know, feels like an eternity. Or option B, I take this pill or I take whatever and I don't feel like that. Man, it's option B every single time. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's where dependency yeah. right where i became 100 percent dependent on that substance to function throughout the course of the day did your did your family and friends ever i mean i'm pretty sure some of your friends knew that you were taking them but mm-hmm. like family uh, did they when did they find out that you were yeah you, you can hide that stuff for so long and i was good at doing it for a little while but you know when you're going through withdrawals stuff goes missing in the house, right? I started stealing to provide for my habit, especially when I wasn't dealing anymore. Um, my physical characteristics, you know, going from really high and feeling good to really lows, you know, just these crazy mood swings. Family definitely knew something was up during high school. They for sure knew something was up by the end of high school with, all the kids coming over to my house every five minutes to, you know, chill for two seconds, right? <laughs> yeah, there was a huge red flag then. Um, and I think they, you know, my parents at the beginning wanted to be naive because they didn't want to accept kind of what I was doing. And then after that, like after I graduated high school, there was no hiding it. You know, the jail, going in and out of jail on minor charges now and again started to happen. Um before that whole controlled by happened, I was in the worst of worst situations physically from opiate withdrawals and attempted treatment around that time, uh, like outpatient drug and alcohol treatment, mm-hmm. but wasn't ready for it. So family definitely knew what was up. So um, how many times did you try to get clean before you actually got clean? Okay. So Cause it's uh, never on the first first try. Some some people are. Oh, yeah? Some people are really fortunate. Uh I would say a good majority of people probably not, mm-hmm. right? And it took me it definitely took me a few times. Like that first time that I told you I went to drug and alcohol treatment um or even the first time that I walked into a 12-step meeting. It was court ordered. It was because they were telling me to do so mm-hmm. and I was trying to get somebody off my back so I wasn't 
committed, nor was I done. And even the time that I checked myself into drug and alcohol treatment, really what I was looking for was a couch to surf to. I had burned every bridge possible at that mm. point between friends, family that I was homeless. I had nowhere to stay, nothing to my name. I'd get in, gotten kicked out of everywhere. And so I was just essentially looking for something to save me, right? Yeah. Like somewhere to sleep. And so I tried treatment then. Obviously, that's not the right mindset, you know? Like yeah. it was desperation, but it wasn't desperate enough. And so I, I got kicked out of treatment for bartering and breaking rules. Like I was there for four to six weeks and uh, they booted me out. And it's actually the day after I got out of treatment that I got busted. Like th that's oh. what I'm saying. I, I was fed treatment for six weeks, got out, went and got my uh, prescription of oxys that I had at the time. And that's when the controlled buy happened. Got in trouble with the law. Um, yeah. And, and so wood pilot... Woodpilot was really the first good run of getting clean, putting my life together, uh, and turning things around. Like that happened, and it was a, a huge blessing in my life. Mm -hmm. Woodpilot did a lot of things for me, gave me the opportunity to save some money. Because um, when it comes to dealing, you know, you got some people that are living on stacks, and then you got some people that are just doing it to survive. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to get out of jail, I'm, I'll just ask you, if you were to get out of jail, you had no job, no money, no car, no nothing, right? No family to go crash with, but you knew of a way to make a couple bucks real quick and change that. Like, what would you do? Yeah, of course you're going to go and do that because that's what you know. Right. You know? Right. And so that's how I filled my pocket. But Woodpilot change that for me. You know, when I got out of jail, because uh, Woodpilot is a phase program where you start in custody and you go and get a job and you're working that job while in jail in their work release program. And then phase two, you move to like a halfway house or sober living type environment. And then stage three and four, you're moving out into your own. So it slowly reincorporates you mm -hmm. back into society. And Woodpilot really did that for me. They, you know, I got a car, I built up credit, I got a townhome, you know, I, I did a lot of things while on Woodpilot that I would not have been able to do without that program. And so um, I strung together two years at that time. Um, but <laughs> so it, it, it sounds great and everything. And uh, my story was not done. No. Like it wasn't done yet. So um when I finished up with Woodpilot, again, I'm dating this girl, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we had been together for a few, pretty much the whole time that I was on Woodpilot. And I was clean and sober for those two years. And I turned my life around in two years. It blew people away. I was talked about as this Woodpilot or Woodpilot poster child, like shining example. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of me going back out, nobody, nobody ever thought. And this girl that I was dating, she turned 21 while we were together. And uh, I had stopped going to 12-step meetings. I had stopped working the program or recovery that had gotten me to that point of sobriety. Uh, I, did, I stopped doing a lot of things and started prioritizing work ahead of everything. I started prioritizing a bunch of stuff. And as a result, this girl, when she turned 21, you know, she started drinking. Um, and after a little while of that, watching her, that, that itch mm -hmm. kind of started again. Or this delusion that like, well, 
I've been clean for two years. I bet I could at least handle some booze, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I could at least have a beer. And so I tested those waters and I mean, long story short, six to, six to eight months later, I was back, back at it. And it's like off to the races, like booze and then always the pills. Yeah, it it progressed real quick. You know, it was booze, pills, uppers, whatever I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And um, I had been given a job as a manager at this place that I was at because of everything that I'd done in the two years prior. And I, I just tore all of this down on top of my head in like six to eight months. This girl that I was with, we were engaged and sabotaged that relationship. And yeah. It got ugly real quick. Because was she using to or just drinking? Just drinking at the time. And, um, you know, that was really that was really about all she was subjected to or doing. Um, Did she know your your history before that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, She definitely knew my past, knew everything. But, you know, us addicts are really good, especially with this clean time that I had. She'd never seen me use. She didn't know any of that. She didn't. So it was easier for her to be manipulated to that lie that I'd be okay Mm -hmm. if I drank and whatever else. Yeah, there was actually somebody, like you said, you... Uh, addicts are good to hide it. There's a guy that who also goes to the gym. I'm pretty sure you know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, just won't say his name on here. Yeah. He told me he had gone to rehab, and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, I would see him at the gym and talk to him just fine. Like he was normal. He would, "How how you doing? What are you working on?" Like yeah. this and that. And he told me for like the same reasons that he was going. He he checked himself into because his wife threatened him, and mm-hmm. and you just don't know because he's like here. I'm fine because this this is what you've seen. Like this is what you he he he's given to the world. Like I'm a happy guy. There's nothing wrong with me. Putting on a mask. Yeah. yeah. And then when he went home, he's like, I was a whole different person. Like I was angry. I was mad. Like uh, I would yell at my wife and things like that. I haven't seen him in a while, so hopefully he's doing good. But mm-hmm. it, it it just goes to show that you never know. Like who is like putting on that mask? Absolutely. Yeah. And how, how long did you, were you, would you say that you were an addict for? So, I mean, here's the thing. Once an addict, always an addict. To this day, like, I've recovered is mm-hmm. what I say today, right? Because um, a lot of people, um, yeah, they it, addiction is a really, really gnarly disease. It is, it carries a ton of misconception and hate and anger and people don't see disease the uh, disease of addiction the same way you look at something let's say cancer mm. right they're both diseases they both cause a huge amount of issues but like with cancer you know even when you're in remission there's certain things you have to do to make sure that that doesn't come back yeah right and addiction is the exact same way so you know i'm in addict who has recovered is usually what I like to say these days. And so after that whole six to eight month relapse, uh, you know, after Woodpilot, um, I had this really kind of profound moment. Like I had something happen as I'm watching the world crumble down around me and I hadn't quite lost everything yet. Uh, I I had a moment of clarity where I began to see my future ending up just like I was in my past, if not worse. I finally realized if I keep living this way and I keep doing this type of stuff, 
I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to die or I am going to end up in prison for life. I need freaking help. And so for the very first time, out of all those experiences, it wasn't to get anybody off my back. I wasn't on probation. I wasn't dealing with any charges. I, you know, I didn't have my, of course, parents and people are like telling me, but that was secondary. The reason I sought out treatment that time was because like, I knew I needed help. I knew I was screwed. Because you wanted it. Yeah, I I wanted it. Yep. And that's, that's where it changed. That's where it finally clicked and it finally changed. And I still, you know, this is the way that addiction is, is, um, you know, even being in that state at this treatment center, it took me a couple of months uh, to get sober in this outpatient treatment center. And the reason they kept me on at that one is, you know, they could see the desperation in my eyes. They could see what was going on. I legitimately was just, I can't stop. And I don't understand why. Like, I know this is going to freaking lead to this. I know this is going to lead to this, but I can't stop. So... That's that's addiction yeah. in a nutshell is everything is staring you in the face. Consequences, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, you have to be 100 percent desperate. Know that you're screwed yeah. for anything to work. Do you feel like um, like you said, your addicts are always an addict? Do you, mm-hmm. do you think that you just switch that energy into weightlifting? Because for those of you who. I mean, because it's an audio show. Yeah. This dude is stacked. He's built. He's freaking shredded. He recently did a show, too. Mm-hmm. So do you think that your energy went to that? Like, you put your addiction to lifting weights? Yep. That's really funny. So uh, when I got sober, a uh, good buddy of mine, you know, the guy that ran this treatment center, he's, a, I mean, just phenomenal dude. Huge part of my life today. I don't even need to dive into all that. That'll be, I mean, a huge tangent. But anyways, this dude, uh, when I got sober, I had so much pent up energy, like so much to the point that they were drug testing me more regularly than everybody (laughs) else because they were like, there's no way this dude has this much energy and sober mm-hmm. but you know i kept pissing clean and so they're like freak like <laughs> um and i got better or i guess this this guy he pointed it out to me uh kind of how i was coming across and he, it's not like he was trying to stifle me but because uh, initially he told me you know let's try and take that energy and funnel it into something else mm-hmm. at first i got real pissed off at him like frick here's another person who's telling me how i should be and what i should be like this is me and when i thought about it really it was like i wanted I wanted to put off something that didn't drive people away and I wanted to feel comfortable in my skin, you know, my own skin. And so what I did was, yeah, I took that energy and I started into the gym and that's where it ended up flowing. So it mellowed me out a ton, Mm -hmm. uh, but really gave me something to, I guess, (laughs) drive that addiction personality. Um, you know, those, 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 uh, I guess, cues that I have and the way that my brain operates, uh, I funneled it into that. And how, how long ago was that? Do you think? So on September 29th of, you know, what are we at? A couple days from here, uh, I'll have five years clean oh, and sober nice. from drugs and alcohol. So, uh, yeah, five years, five years. And, mm-hmm. and in that time you became a, a personal trainer, right? Mm-hmm. And then you also do bodybuilding your, on your own. Yep. And you told me that you're next year that you're going to be competing for your pro card. Yeah. 
How, yeah, that's how does that feel right like com- like it's, from five years ago to now? It's surreal. It's really surreal, and it's it's crazy to think back, uh, you know, and look at you yeah. know where I've come within that five years and how important fitness has been to me, mm-hmm. an intricate part of all of it and keeping my head level and straight and you know the passion that I have for fitness and helping others uh, is I mean it's a huge part of what keeps me sober and going today is helping others so yeah and and I see that because not only are you a personal trainer you're you're also helping like training other athletes like to become Mm -hmm. bodybuilders and you've been having like a winning record I, I, I see that you've been the slash show, who won? Who's the one that won? Um, it, right, his name was Trevor. Trevor, yeah. So I took a handful of people down to this show, and you know, had one guy win the overall champion. And so, for those of you that don't know bodybuilding, I guess there's multiple divisions, right, and multiple classes within those divisions. And so, an overall champion is designated for each division, and that's like the title of like the winner of everything, mm-hmm. right? Being an overall champion at a bodybuilding show is the main goal for everybody. I mean, the biggest goal. Um, and so, yeah, this guy won that. Um, I've, I've won a few of those in the last handful of years and, you know, just recently won two in two divisions, which is pretty cool. Oh, and, and what do you have to do to, to get a pro card? So to get a pro card next year, uh, when you compete at these local shows or these they're not necessarily small. Some of them, I mean, they vary in size, but you compete at what's called a national qualifying show, which is the show that I just competed at. And if you place well enough at that show, you get a qualification to go to a national show. And at those national shows, that's the next stage. You have to place, you know, first or second, you know, usually first mm-hmm. within whatever class you're competing to win your pro card. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, because I, I saw that you've been posting, I mean, they're winning. So, you, I mean, you obviously know what you're doing. Yeah. And so how does that make you feel like n- not not only helping them like achieve their goals, but like, uh, do you still do personal training for like people oh, at the yeah. gym? Yeah. How does 100%. that how does that make you feel like helping people? I mean, it's it's everything that's really where to stay sober. I talked about certain things you have to do and. I don't know if you guys know anything about like 12 step recovery programs, but that's kind of what they have found to work, right? 12 step mm-hmm. recovery. And one of the biggest things at the end of that is, you know, giving away a gift that you've been freely given and helping others. I mean, it's a huge, huge deal of staying sober. And so by working with my personal training clients, my lifestyle clients, by working with my bodybuilding clients and seeing their success, I mean, my cup just gets filled up and I mean, it really does keep me yeah because to me that's exciting because i mean uh there, there's a lot of personal trainers i mean all over all the gyms have them yeah but there's only me that i can think of is just you who actually has athletes under him like building up athletes and they're they're huge compared to where they were at mm-hmm. and then like to where you got them yeah uh, are you pretty strict with them are they like yeah every everybody's a little bit different a little bit personal right so bodybuilding clients i'm usually a little bit more strict with but that's because uh they need to take their levels of body fat and you know bodybuilding is an extreme sport mm-hmm. i wouldn't necessarily say bodybuilding is the most healthy sport out there mm-hmm. not at all right between the you know intensive dieting tons of working out and everything i mean 
but those individuals competing can be pushed a little bit harder. My lifestyle clients and the main reason I'm headed to be a registered dietitian in environment school right now is really those are the people that I really want to help out. Mm. You know, there's a huge need for medical nutritional therapy in dealing with things like type 2 diabetes and obesity and cardiovascular disease. And so working with those lifestyle clients over the last handful of years as a personal trainer, I've seen some of those transformations and just like watching them get their lives back, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, being able to stay active with their kids or fit into a, a pair of pants or not have to take a ton of medication. Like, yeah, uh, it's freaking awesome. I feel like you're helping, like, especially the really obese people help mm-hmm. save their lives. Because oh, yeah. the, the bigger you get, the worse you can get. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, diabetes runs in our family mm-hmm. a lot. So. I was getting big at one point. I, I don't have diabetes, mm-hmm. but I know I can get it really easy. Yeah. So I was like, either I change it now mm-hmm. or wait until something makes me change it. Yeah. I'd rather just change it now than wait and be like, hey, if you don't lose some weight, you're going to your your health is at risk. Yeah. You you're know, really so, smart to do that. Yeah. And that's what that's what I think that you guys do. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, I always like. I mean, I'm not a trainer, so mm-hmm. I hate it when like people ask me like for because they know that I've lost uh, quite a bit of weight. Mm-hmm. So they'll ask me. I try to give them like some tips and pointers, but at the end of the day, it's just uh, discipline, like knowing the right information. Oh yeah, and and discipline. I remember the reason I asked like how are you are with your mm-hmm. clients is because uh, it was a lady. Uh, you were helping a lady one day. And you're like, come on, one more. And you like kind of like yelled at her. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, started, like, I started throwing out a few more. I was like, so yeah. uh, th- that's yeah. pretty, I mean, just your story overall. Like, what would you tell someone who's going through your dark times? Like, right. Like, what right. would you tell them to try to help them out? Like right now? Um, it has to be for them. First off, if they want to get better and they you know want to get better, it has to be for them. Uh, the reason I talk about my story and I, it's not like I'm an open book just on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. but if asked about it, I'm more than willing to talk about it. And the reason being is people out there need to know that, you know, if somebody else could do it, especially somebody like me, Mm -hmm. then they can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, they need to understand that it's not impossible. Right. And that little bit of hope that they, too, can kind of come through that. And so I I would say for those people, you have to want to be done 100 percent, 100 percent done and know that you can't do it on your own. That's the biggest freaking thing. And it'll pin you down and keep you sick for so long. If you're in that place, if you think you can do it alone, you're not going to get out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of an oxymoron, but you find strength through surrender. Yeah. Right. It's the only way that I have found it to work. And, you know, the countless people that I know that have come out on the other end, that's how it works. And so, yeah. And I've, I've heard a lot of people like, uh, just like online, they also say like, you have to want it. It, it didn't work so much when you get, you have someone on your back telling you go do this or, uh, the, the court the court or state telling you hey mm-hmm. you have to do this but they don't understand like they need to help like not force you to do it but like help you put you in the right situation around the same uh, around the right people yeah uh, you know I, I preach that a lot it's like surround yourself with the right people because 100%. Um, this guy I was reading this book and he says uh, 
if you surround yourself for five millionaires, you're going to be the sixth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you're around those people. So if you surround yourself with positive people who are helping you to get out, you're going to like they're going to help. They're not going to do it for you, yep. but they're going to help. Yeah. So and then also, like, before we go, I want to what are some things about like that you could tell people to get started at home workouts because i know there's some people who are intimidated by the gym Mm -hmm. so they don't go they don't like to go so they make that an excuse and then they just don't know like uh to you or even to myself like be like oh just do this do this but Mm -hmm. to them it i remember when i was at that point where i didn't know like i even didn't go to a gym for the longest time because i was also intimidated i'm like i'm gonna go they're gonna judge me or i don't know what i'm doing i'm like dumb out there so what would you what are some workouts that you would recommend for them to do at home right depending on the person and level of activity already i would say first and foremost the easiest thing you can do and this sounds so simple but just walking say like you're living a sedentary lifestyle and you are in a chair for you know working at your job eight to twelve hours or whatever and you get in your car to drive home and go anywhere you know, you're not taking a lot of steps. The benefits of just walking 30 minutes a day, five days a week can reduce so many health risks like type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and things like that. And I, you know, not that it's 100% ideal, but YouTube is a great, you know, a great way to get started at home. There are tons of videos out there for at-home workouts that are short, simple, sweet, challenging, uh, because gyms for sure can be intimidating for a lot of people. And that's usually because they lack education or, you know, they they have some self-esteem issues, which is really, really big for sure. Mm -hmm. And I would... I would encourage those people, um, you know, it's not like you need to go to a gym, right? But find some support. That's a big thing, too. So for your at-home workouts, if you're going to do an at-home workout, have your husband support you. Have your wife support mm-hmm. you. Have a buddy that comes over and works out with you. Uh, whatever you got to do for that. But um, have somebody, you yeah, know. And like you said, just it, it, it sounds simple, but just walk <laughs> be a little bit more active yeah so and then i had a question mm-hmm. what changes because i know you can't like give people like mm-hmm. diet advice like, yeah um what changes would you say to make in in a diet you know yeah I mean? like, yeah because yeah. like some people think that eating less is beneficial which is it really isn't or like right they're you know, just like food changes, like what would you recommend? Like, yeah. So overlying, I love that you point that out. And with my field of study, becoming a registered dietitian, mm-hmm. I have learned more and more to not give out specific nutritional yeah. advice because it is intricate stuff that you really need to know somebody's history, background, lifestyle. Yeah, and it varies. Whole, from it varies from person to person depending on medical conditions and things like that. But really, some simple, simple things for nutrition that it kind of overlie a lot of people increased water intake drinking more water throughout the course of the day uh choosing whole foods compared to processed foods right less junk stuff that'll keep you full for a little bit longer mm-hmm. um that includes fruits vegetables things like that real foods and then um depending on your goals i think one of the best things that a lot of people can do and uh they 
some people are good at it. Some people are bad at it. But there's a lot of benefits uh, in keeping a food diary mm-hmm. or a food log or tracking your food. And the reason that is, is if you don't know what the real problem is, how do you fix it? Yeah. You know, and so you may be thinking you're not eating a ton of calories, but a food diary or a food log will be able to tell you that. And uh, if you're trying to put on weight, like say like you're a small guy trying to put on some size, I've been asked that one too, right? There's a different goal. Uh, if you don't know how much you're eating, yeah. you can't track it or log it, you don't know how much you should increase it by. So with nutrition, real foods, more water. Um, yeah, and that's really a good place to start. Lean protein sources, not fatty, you know, fatty ribeyes and tons of pork and bacon and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think the biggest thing, because we know a lot of individuals, I'm sure all three of you guys have met somebody that has tried some diet, you know, some fat. got on some fad diet, you know, whether it's keto, intermittent fasting, paleo, like whatever it may be, what you need to do for yourself at the end of the day is find something that works for you. Mm-hmm right? Sustainability. Yeah. Uh, if you can't do it long term, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. So. Yeah. Cause, uh, th- that'd actually be good. Cause over, we're actually going to do a food challenge you know, or not mm-hmm. a food challenge, a weight loss challenge. Yeah. And, uh, I feel like I can win. <laughs> so I might <laughs> I, hit you I up have for, no some, doubts, dude. for yeah. some advice. Uh, yeah, perfect. Where can they reach you at? Like, to, just in case they want to get some, like, uh, sign up to be a personal, for you to be their personal. Trainer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, right now, where my, I mean, it's definitely a blessing, blessings on blessings, but uh, my schedule is pretty booked right now as far as availability but i'm over at gold's gym you can find me over there mm-hmm. um and it, you know beginning december january i should have some availability so you can find me over at gold's gym in idaho falls you can also find me on instagram you know you can dm me on there as jeremy underscore physique and i mean that would be a good place to reach me and then um yeah DM me on Facebook, you know, any one of those social media platforms. I'm more than willing to answer DMs, get back to people and let them know when I have some more availability. But yeah. Yeah. And and like, I want to thank you for coming on just because. Yeah. Thanks for having me. There's those people who, like you said, wear a mask. They they don't know what I mean, you don't know what they're going through. But hopefully, I mean, you reach somebody here and then be like, you know, he went through it. You know, I can do it. I just, you know, kind of push myself through it. Mm-hmm. And then also for just working out too. Like you also need that support system to help you work out. Um, you know, if get your husband or your wife to do it with you, you mm-hmm. know, like things like that. So, uh, I'm glad you came on so you could tell people's story. Like you said, you don't like to tell people like, Hey, like, look at me, I did it. But, right. but if it's going to help somebody, mm-hmm. you know, you're all for it. And yeah. I mean, you're in the business of helping others. So no, uh, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. You have awesome. an amazing story. Hopefully, dude, you keep killing it, bro. Hopefully you get your pro card. Cause <laughs> that'd be awesome. I told yeah, him I wanted to take agree. pictures and do a whole like, little docu-series on him. There you go. I think yeah, that would be dope. Be uh, for sure. Uh, just like where you great. came from to like where you're at now. That's it's it's huge. Like, yeah, so I appreciate that. Yeah, man. yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and we'll see you guys on the next one. Sounds good. Later. Hey, thanks, guys. Nigga, the cops outside. Lock up the house. We keep the team on high. Some gold in their mouth. Nigga, the Porsche outside. With the top. She one of my most outside. Bringing the shots.